Well, hey, good morning, everybody. I'm so glad that you've joined us today for our third ever online service. Um, it's going well, uh, as well as can be expected. I can't wait to see everybody face to face again. We will be able to do that someday. Uh, but for now, this is this is where we're at and this is okay. Uh, if you're a guest with us, thanks for making uh, part of your Sunday morning to, to be with us today. My name is Nathan Harris. I am the lead pastor here at Celebration Center. And I'm glad you're with us. We are in a series called Three Questions of Jesus. And, you know, one of the distinctive things about the questions Jesus asks that, that we read in the books, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those, the, the first four of the New Testament, what we call the Gospels, is that they are teaching devices. They were a way for him to get his hearers to think through issues and to get a response from them. He wanted them to wrestle through some things, that because that's what teachers did in, in Jesus's day and culture. Now, if you're a parent, you're used to doing this kind of thing. I know right now at our point in history, um, you know, trying to keep everybody safe and healthy and, and just clean even. Anytime one of my kids comes out of the restroom, I ask two questions. Did you wash with soap and water? And did you do it for 20 seconds or more? Uh, you know, it's not because I'm super desperately interested in, in what they did at that sink, right? I want them to be able to be safe. I want them to be able to be clean and, and to, to keep germs away and, and all of that kind of thing. And, and so I ask a question, not for information, but to teach them something and to get them dialed in on how important this particular issue is. If you've led people at work, if you have trained anyone at work, you've, you've done something similar. You ask questions, right? You, you ask them, you quiz them on, on the job that you're training them in so that they can learn to do it better so that they can become more proficient at it. If you're a student and you've done studying with other students, you quiz each other on, on tests when you're studying together. Not because necessarily you aren't sure what the answer is, but because it, it's to help the other person to, to wrestle through the answers, to, to know that they actually know what it is that they're supposed to be studying. So whenever we see Jesus asking a question in the Bible, we need to pay attention because there's a lesson about to be taught. There's a response Jesus is looking for. So this week we're looking at Jesus's question, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? I was recently confronted with a need of my own. Uh, you see, I can be very task-oriented. It's a tendency in me due in part to my personality because I, I like to get things done. But it's a little bit also has to do with the way that I grew up, the example that I had growing up. Now, my dad was loving. And one of the things I, I really was amazed by and appreciated about my dad was his ability to love on broken people and to help them to know Jesus. But my dad was also very task-oriented. He was a pastor at a small church in a small town, which meant that he had to have sometimes one or two other jobs to support our family, to make sure that we had food on the table, that, they, that our needs were being met. And so when he wasn't doing his pastoring, his regular pastoring things of preparing messages and, and counseling people, doing hospital visits, all of those kinds of things, then he might be out driving a school bus or he might be down at the local school sweeping a floor or something like that. 
all to take care of us. So here I am, a husband, a dad, and a pastor, just like my dad. And just like my dad, I find myself at times being task-oriented in a drive to get things done, to prove myself as a good husband, a good dad, a good pastor. And just like my family growing up, I find some of the same kind of dysfunctions at work in my own family because of this. Sometimes I get angry. Sometimes I'm impatient. Sometimes I, I get bitter about things or I get frustrated. I'm a human being. Now, my point in all of this isn't to shift the blame from me to my dad. It's, it's me. This is, this is my brokenness. This is, these are areas in my life where I'm blind, so to speak, where I need help, where I need to be healed. And right now, I'm desperate to get out from underneath of those things. So knowing that about me, let me ask you this question. What's your sickness? In what ways are you broken and are you desperate to get out from underneath of them? Now, I'm not trying to get you to feel bad about yourself or to imply that you're some kind of loser. Like I said, we're, we're all human. We all have our own sickness. We all have our own blindness. We all have those things that attach themselves to us, that pull us maybe away from God and relationships with other people and, and, and get in the way of those things. But nonetheless, our brokenness has an effect not only on us, but on the people around us, okay? Now, let me give you some good news about all of this. Jesus came to heal us. He came to set us free from the things that break us. And, and he came to make us new. So whatever your brokenness is, you are not destined to stay in it. You don't have to suffer from it for the rest of your life. Because Jesus came to set us free, we are not doomed to just repeat the examples we had growing up. I'm not doomed to repeat the, the examples I had growing up. To live out this good news, though, it's going to require something of us. It's going to require faith. So here's our big idea for this morning. Jesus came to set us free. But to live in this freedom, we have to respond to him in faith. Jesus came to set us free. That is good, good news. That is something worth shouting from the rooftops. But it also does require something from me. It requires that I respond to him in faith. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of faith that you see in cheesy cards, right? Today is the beginning of anything you want. Really? Anything? Do we really have that at our fingertips? Anything? That's not faith. That's wishful thinking. But I'm also not talking about the kind of faith that's found in, in repetition of some secret, sacred formula where if we say and do the right things enough and in the right way, then we're going to be granted our requests. You see, that's not faith. That's called magic. God did not send Jesus so that we could just pull a few levers and get exactly what it is we think that we want. The kind of faith I'm talking about is a faith that is based on understanding, at least in part, who 
Jesus is, which we embrace as reality, and then we act on in the way that we live. I'm talking about the kind of faith that rests on Jesus and who he is. There's a story in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Mark, that confronts us with this very kind of faith. And as we're confronted with this faith, Jesus asks us just the same question that he's going to ask this, this person in this story. What do you want me to do for you? So keep that question in mind this morning as we move forward. What is it that you want Jesus to do for you? What are you desperate for him to make new in your life? And what are you willing to do about it? This story is found in Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 46 through 52. And I'm going to read out of the NIV, the New International Version. So if if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, go ahead and open up there. Join with me. Mark chapter 10, we're going to pick up in verse 46. Here's what it says. Then they came to Jericho. Now, I want to pause just for a minute. I know we just got started here, but I want to pause just for a second here, and I'm going to talk about this. They came to Jericho. This, the setting for this particular story is a journey, but not just any journey. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the very last time. He's finally going to have a showdown with the religious leaders and the way they have led the people. He's going to Jerusalem to do battle with the forces of darkness that have held all of humanity enslaved to a life far away from God. And he's going to let that darkness do its absolute worst to him on our behalf in order to bring us ultimate freedom. You see, Jesus is on a mission, and his mission is to go and to die. So let's pick it back up here. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 49, I love this. Jesus stopped and said, call him. Now, this is the fourth or fifth interruption of Jesus' journey. Remember what I told you about me being task-oriented? This would have driven me nuts, knowing that I was on a mission, that I had something I needed to accomplish, that I needed to get somewhere and get something done, and and then having these these interruptions would have driven me nuts. I'd have been looking at my watch. Come on, let's, let's get this done so that I can move on to what's really important. But that's not Jesus. He listens to Bartimaeus' plea from the back of the throng and he calls him out of the crowd. Listen, Jesus is interested in your plight. He's interested in whatever it is that your whatever form it is that your brokenness takes. It's not that he doesn't know about it, it's that he cares about it. He's interested, he's listening, he is available. 
Jesus came to make you new in that area. There is nothing that Jesus is so busy with or, or that, that he's so into that he doesn't hear your cry or have time to take notice of you. As a matter of fact, that's an exact picture of what God is like. He is the God who hears the cries of his people, the cries of lost and broken people in broken circumstances, no matter whose fault the circumstances are, no matter if I'm responsible for those circumstances or maybe they're circumstances that have been thrust on me because of some choices that other people have made. It doesn't matter the source of them. It doesn't matter who's at fault or who's to blame. God cares. He hears. He listens. He has time for us. Let's head back to the story. Back in verse 49, so they, the crowd, called to the blind man, cheer up. I love how they totally changed their tune. They go from yelling at him to shut up and to be quiet to, to say, hey, cheer up on your feet. Jesus, he, he's calling you. I love this. Verse 50, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Jesus asked a question. What do you want me to do for you? I have to admit, as I read this story, my, my mind wanders in different places. Um, there's, there's a scene, I don't know how many of you have seen the, the movie Rogue One, but there's a scene where the good guys are getting captured by some other people and they're, they're, one of the good guys is, a, actually he's blind and, and these guys that are capturing the good guys, they throw a bag over the blind man's head and his response to this is, are you kidding me? I'm blind! And, and I, I have that in mind when, when I hear Jesus asking this question of Bartimaeus. Are you kidding, Jesus? He's blind. What, what do you think he wants? But you see, Jesus didn't ask this question because he was unaware of Bartimaeus' blindness and, and his need. He asked this question because he was testing Bartimaeus' faith. What do you want me to do for you? Just a few verses prior to this particular encounter, Jesus asked the very, this very same question to two of his disciples. They had come to him and they said, Jesus, do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus says, well, what do you want me to do for you? And, and they replied to him, grant that one of us can sit on your right and one of us can sit on your left. In other words, we want to be your number one and your number two guys in your kingdom because we think that power in your kingdom is about being on top. It's about having authority over people. It's about position. So that's what they were looking for. They were looking for power and they were looking for position. A little further on in Mark chapter 11, the Pharisees and the priests are going to ask Jesus where Jesus gets his authority. Who gives you the right, Jesus, to do and to say the things that you are doing and you are saying? Who set you up on top? They were looking at power. 
the wrong way. And in between these two accounts, we, we have a blind man who actually sees what nobody else sees. He understands what no one else understands. Jesus is the promised one sent from God to make all things right. And the only position Bartimaeus has in front of Jesus is that of a beggar asking for undeserved and unearned favor. He simply wants to see. Jesus, you owe me nothing. You owe me nothing. I'm asking for your mercy. Verse 52. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Now, the faith of Bartimaeus is commended in this story as the exact kind of faith that you and I need to have. And there are three things I see about this faith that we need to grab hold of. It, it, and it's not that, that wishful thinking, you know, uh, Hallmark card type faith. And it's not that kind of faith that just says, if I pull enough levers and I do enough right things, then God is going to have to give me what it is I'm asking for. It, it's not any of that. We are going to have to have a faith that's based on the very person of Jesus, who he is. So the first thing I see in this story is that faith discovers who Jesus is. Faith discovers who Jesus is. I want to look back at Bartimaeus' example. Verse 47, it says this, When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. Now you need to understand, at this point in history, there were literally a bunch of guys running around society named Jesus. Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew name of what we understand is Joshua or Yeshua, okay? And it, and it means something to the effect that, that, um, that God saves, all right? And, and so parents were naming their kids this all over the place. So there were a whole bunch of Jesuses all over the place. But Bartimaeus discovers that this was the Jesus. This was Jesus of Nazareth, the one who, was, who came from Nazareth, who did all kinds of healing. So he understands that this Jesus is set apart from all of the others. That he understands that there were all kinds of rumors circulating about him. And his response was to pay attention to and to discover who it is that's passing by. He, he starts listening harder. Bartimaeus starts paying attention. I remember a time I was hanging out with uh, one of my cousins and, and some of his friends, and I had all, I was pretty young. I think I was like five or six at the time. And all of a sudden we heard this great music, this high tinkling kind of off tune music a little bit. I know that you've heard this before because as it turned out, it was an ice cream truck and it was traveling. We could hear it a couple of blocks away. And all of a sudden my cousin and his friends were like, it's an ice cream truck. And I was like, there's a truck made of ice cream? And they're like, no, you can get ice cream from it. I was like, even better, I can get ice cream out of a truck and they're just gonna hand this to me for free, right? I, I didn't understand all of it, but I followed them and we found the ice cream truck. You guys, the first thing faith does is to discover who Jesus is. 
Faith pays attention to the stories other people tell about their encounters with Jesus. You see, Bartimaeus doesn't appear to have had a previous encounter with Jesus. Just like I hadn't had a previous encounter with a magical ice cream dispensing truck, okay? Bartimaeus simply has heard stories about Jesus and the things that Jesus has done. And so faith discovers who Jesus is and it pays attention. But that's not all faith does. Knowing about Jesus is only a starting place for real faith. Because real faith moves beyond knowing about Jesus to embracing Jesus. And that's the second thing I see about faith in this story. Faith embraces who Jesus is. It discovers who he is, but then it embraces who he is. I want to head back to Bartimaeus' response in verse 47. So he, he's discovered who this is. This is the Jesus of Nazareth. It says here in verse 47, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Bartimaeus gets into a tussle with the crowd who's trying to quiet him, to get him to, be, to, to shut up, but he cries out all the louder till Jesus finally stops and calls Bartimaeus to him. Skipping down to verse 50, here's Bartimaeus' response. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Bartimaeus had nothing to lose. He was a blind man on the side of the road who had no rights to anything. But he was so certain of who this Jesus was and what he could do for him that he wouldn't be denied. He, he throws aside what meant life to him. And in, in that day, beggars, blind beggars, or lame beggars especially, they would sit down on, a, on their cloak and that was their world for that day. Every day they would sit there and whatever uh, coins that people would toss to them and, and hand to them would land on that cloak. So literally their livelihood was on this cloak. This is how they are supporting themselves. And Bartimaeus throws this cloak aside and the money probably that's on it and he jumps to his feet and he runs as you know, as much as a blind man can, to Jesus. What do you want from Jesus this morning? Are you desperate for him? I remember one time my daughter, she, uh, we, we had a big snow in Spokane and we were snowed in and we just didn't want to make lunch or anything. So my wife and I decided to surprise our kids with a pizza lunch and then we had it delivered to us and we didn't tell them about it but pretty soon there's this knock on the door and I go and answer the door and my daughter's holding a couple of dolls or something like that and um, she sees the door open she sees the pizza delivery person standing there and she knows exactly immediately what's happening and and so she these things that she's holding she she brings them up she gets all excited and she just jettisons them all right let me ask you this are you so desperate for what Jesus has for his life, for who he is, that you are willing to jettison whatever it is that you are clinging to that has meant life to you? Are you that desperate? Are you that willing to embrace Jesus? 
What is it that you want from Jesus this morning? Because faith embraces who Jesus is. But once we've embraced Jesus, there's one more thing that we need to do. There's one more thing that makes our faith complete, and that is to act on who Jesus is. And that's number three. The third thing I see in this story about real faith is that faith acts on who Jesus is. It discovers who Jesus is, it embraces who Jesus is, and then it acts on who Jesus is. Look at verse 52. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he, Bartimaeus, received his sight, and then I love this, and followed Jesus along the road. Now, you and I can't follow Jesus along the road to Jerusalem the way Bartimaeus did, but we can follow along the way. And it's interesting that the word here that's translated road can also be translated as way. Christ followers, Christians, at the very beginning were known as followers of the way. Their lives were invested into Jesus. To be a Christ follower of the way meant then and now that we are Jesus' disciples. We're staying plugged into him. We are learning from him as he fills us with his life. I remember a time we were living in Spokane and the house that we were at, that we owned at the time, I was on a septic system and so periodically I had to dig the, the topsoil off of this and, and clear it so that we could have a company come out and certify it, that it was still working, that everything was good, all of that. So one spring evening, I go out into the backyard and my son comes and he joins me. And as I'm digging with my shovel, he gets right down next to me and he gets his Tonka trucks and he's loading dirt and he's moving dirt and it was a lot of fun. It was so much fun. You guys... Real faith is attached to Jesus in such a way that we draw our lives from him, that we're trained to live by him. And we pour our lives into doing what he's doing right alongside him, all because we simply stay with him. We're following him along the way. The example of Bartimaeus is the example of faith that you and I need to follow and live. And we do this by discovering embracing and acting on who Jesus is. So let me ask you this. What do you want Jesus to do for you? What might happen for you and me if we listened for Jesus passing by? What might happen if we listened to the stories other people were telling about Jesus? Other, what other people have said that he has done in and for them, and then we embrace Jesus for ourselves throwing aside everything that gets in the way. What might your life look like if you were to completely and totally attach yourself to Jesus, learning from him, getting your life from him? What do you want Jesus to do for you? Because probably what he wants to do for us is far greater beyond what we could possibly imagine. And I'm not just talking about making us feel good or, or giving us some things that we're asking for in prayer, though there's nothing wrong with praying. I want you to pray. I want you to ask Jesus for stuff. Okay, do that. But there is a life that he wants to lead us into, and this life is attached to him. What do you want Jesus to do for you?
If you want to live this kind of faith, I've got a short prayer you can use in your daily life as a starting point. It's just a starting point. Again, this is not about saying this enough or doing this enough that makes things magically happen in our lives. But it begins to form the way we think, the way we act. Okay, and here it is. It's from Psalm 86, verse 11. It says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Teach me your ways that I can rely on you for everything and give me this single focus that I will follow you only and always. I've used this as a starting point in engaging with Jesus through my own desperation, my own brokenness. And it's been challenging. It's been disturbing to life as I've lived it, but it's been good. Jesus has heard my cries and he is healing me because I am attaching myself to him. He has drawn me to him and, and I'm saying, yes, let's go. And I still mess up. I'm still working on getting better. But as I attach myself to Jesus, he is continuing to make me new. Let me ask one more time. What do you want from Jesus? Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you hear us in our plight, that you hear us in our brokenness, that you, you know what ails us and that you are concerned about it. Help us to recognize who you are, to embrace who you are, and to pour our lives into following you, to base our lives on you and on nothing else. God, for everyone watching this video or, or, or listening online, or, or I, I pray that prayer. I pray that that would become reality for all of us. And in the coming days and weeks and months, as life continues to move forward, we're going to have troubles and, and trials and there will be slips and mistakes. And God, I pray just for your grace to be poured out on all of us, that we would hear your love, that we would experience your presence and your love in our lives so that we can continue to move on in you, not in our own strength, not in our own ability, but simply in staying close to you. Do that for us, I ask, especially in this time of uncertainty, of fear, of, of discouragement, Help us, help us to tie ourselves to you and don't let us go, I pray. Now, maybe you haven't begun your life as a Christ follower, but you'd like to. You want to be bound to Jesus. You want to follow him. I'm going to say a simple prayer. Just make it yours. Jesus, here I am in my brokenness. I want your life. That's what I want from you today. So I ask that you would take my life, that you would take my brokenness, that you would fill it with you, with your goodness, with your love, that you would bring me into your family and that you would make me new. Father, for anyone who made that prayer theirs, fulfill that. Make that happen. Let them experience your presence right now.
Let them experience you making them new right now, Father. God, be with us this week as we face the various challenges and trials that we are going to face. Have mercy on us. Lord, we want to pray especially for those who are sick right now, who do have this virus and and other ailments as well. God, have mercy. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy. Bring health, bring wholeness, protect the first responders and and those in the medical field and, and the rest of us too, God. Do what only you can do, we pray. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you guys, thanks for being here today. Thanks for uh, being with us this morning. Uh, I just want to encourage you, God loves us. He is with us. One thing that we can do for each other and and the way that God is with us is when we are with each other. I'm not asking you to, to break social distancing or anything, but I am asking you, call each other, text each other, maybe do a video chat with somebody, but let's encourage and build each other up. Thanks for being here. We will talk to you guys next week.